Alright people, welcome back to Primal Alchemy's Red Pill Initiation Hour. Here with your host, Chris Story. You know the gig by now guys, a few things to touch base on before we start today's episode. The first being is a massive thank you from myself in the continuous love and support that you guys continuously show me on the path of trying to get this podcast up and running and up in the charts with the big boys on top. You guys know that your feedback means the world to me. Any little bit of um, yeah, feedback, be that constructive, be that praise, be that fucking shitting on it. It doesn't matter. It's feedback to me. I need to know what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong, what you guys want to see more of and what you guys want to see me cut the fuck down on. So uh, yeah, please get at me at Primal Alchemy UK on Instagram. And even better yet, please drop me a review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. don't know if you can do it on Spotify, but hey, you could give it a try if you could, please. Whatever it is, whatever medium you are using to listen to this podcast, please drop me a review afterwards. Just give me some feedback. It really does mean the world to me. And as a massive thank you, I always give you guys the exclusive discount code of REDPILL. That's the code REDPILL. That when used at checkout, you're getting an exclusive 10% off anything within your shopping basket at primalalchemy.co.uk. So for any of you that are new to this brand, new to this podcast, and you don't know what uh, Primal Alchemy is about, check it out. Primalalchemy.co.uk. We specialize in superhuman optimization. This is everything to do with physical, mental, and spiritual optimization. And uh, what we do, guys, we have our own line of organic health food supplements. Our flagship product is Vitruvian Protein. That's an organic whey protein superfood blend. It's got adaptogenic herbs, nootropic herbs, prebiotic herbs, forged with the highest grade, highest vibrational superfoods from around the world in order to create a product that really is next level compared to most. We've had Curlian Photography um, undertaken on the product. Uh, Curlian Photography captures the electromagnetic emission, the electromagnetic signature of the food. So what it's showing is how much life force energy is actually inside of the food. And we did a comparison shoot of the Vitruvian protein um, and also the high street market alternative. And you guys can check it out at primaralchemy.co.uk under the Vitruvian protein um, page. And you can check out the results and see for yourself. We did a 30-minute before ingestion and 30-minute after ingestion um, photo shoot as well to show you the effect that it has on the human body's electromagnetic energy field. Fascinating, guys. This stuff really does affect you. And I've had countless testimonials coming back from people that have purchased it telling me the exact same, telling me that they feel that energy. An energy that they don't get from other products and this is the reason why it's we use the highest grade ingredients from around the world and it's formulated in order to really put you on the next level it's not underdosed the ingredients are carefully selected and you guys can check out the formula as well check it out see what you think but yeah guys 10% off that's with the code red pill red pill 10% off anyway moving on to today's episode we have the ever magnificent Scott Onstott. Now, if none of you are familiar with Scott, he is quite the uh, quite the name within the alternative thinking circle. He is a architect, a teacher, 
and a poof, fucking hell it's hard to describe Scott because he is on some next level in terms of being able to decode the very nature of reality understanding the foundational premise the architectural architectural blueprint the geometrical underpinning of reality yeah Scott's the guy and he's got some amazing videos on YouTube such as Secrets in Plain Sight his little video series he did where he's shown the, the sacred geometrical patterns and relationships between different sites, different archaeological sites, ancient um, temple sites, and some of our most well-known um, tourist attractions in the modern world, how everything is connected. And that is by design, and that is systematically put in place like so, to create these sacred geometrical patterns that hold a certain frequency. But yeah, that sounds quite far-fetched, but we're going to get into that. Um, hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. If you're here because you like Scott and you already know him, then hey, you already know what you're getting here. But for you guys that are new to Scott's work, then this one's going to be a little bit different for you. And hopefully you're going to enjoy it. Lot to learn. This is a crucial, um, a crucial variable within my equation of complete human optimization. You need to learn this stuff in order to understand where I'm coming at when I'm talking about sacred geometry, when I'm talking about frequency symbolism so on and so on so yeah guys let's get this underway let's shoot the shit that's episode 26 morpheus tell these fools what's up you take the blue pill the story ends you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe you take the red pill you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes above so below what lies without resides within time for growth to begin mental physical and spiritual we find balance with all three as we focus on totality the whole not the half this is for those on a spiritual path looking for the clues to the answers of life but the truth ain't always nice so leave your ego at the door let your inner lion roar and your spirit soar as we go deep down to the molecular level tap into the body with some yogic breath throw in some calisthenics for a true strength test like the shamans of old we use the nature to heal with a little bit of dmt to reveal this whole life journey is a little surreal and your mind needs a leader not a follower in life let your mind be the master and you pay a hefty price this next 60 minutes is about self mastery it's not an easy path and it's a lifelong journey but we up to empower with this red pill initiation hour with this red pill initiation hour brought to you by prima open me the matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth Uh, three, two, one, and shit, we are live. Guys, we're back. It's episode 26 of the Red Pill Initiation Hour. We're on video again, guys. This is the second time of the series, so hopefully this one goes well and you enjoy it. As you can see, I am a little bit of a, looking like a bit of a ghost. It's nighttime here in England, and I don't want to blast myself to shit by blue light and fuck the circadian rhythms up. So keeping things clean with some red light, keeping it easy on the eyes. And yeah, in for an interesting episode today, guys. It's something that is a little bit different. You may have heard me on previous episodes bring up sacred geometry, divine proportion, 
the microcosm, macrocosm, the divine temple, our bodies being a biological temple of the uh, inner God, all of that sort of jazz. And I know that sometimes it flies over your head a little bit, like you might not have good source material to build like a good foundation of knowledge off of that. So I brought on a man who really is uh, a mastermind when it comes to this stuff. I've been a fan of his work for a long time, dating back maybe seven or so years since he released the video that really caught my eye and got me onto his work. So yeah, today's guest is a researcher, author, self-initiated adept of the ancient mystery religion and overall sacred geometrical maestro badass, Mr. Scott on start himself scott thanks for coming on man thanks a lot for having me chris yeah it's uh like i was saying i've been looking forward to this one for a long time and there's a lot of subjects that you really are so switched on about that would be hard for me to be able to find someone else that would be able to match your your experience with this work and a little bit about myself just to kind of give you something is when I was 18, I was initiated into a Masonic Lodge in the United Kingdom. So I worked up through my um, apprentice, craft, master mason degrees. I worked up into the Yorkshire Rite of Freemasonry. I held a reasonable, reasonably respected degree for the age I was at. I was the youngest in the world to hold that degree at the time. I was fascinated to learn what Freemasonry has to offer. and. I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in the lodge I was at and the people I was communing with. And it took a lot of self-research and self-work in order to really find the knowledge that it's found, that it's founded on. And your videos, the secrets in plain sight was one of those when that was roughly about seven years ago or so now it's been, it's been a while. Right? Well, I, um, I released it in 2010. So it's been a little longer, about nine years now. <sighs> Yeah, for sure. So that was roughly the time as I was just just before I got initiated when I was kind of really into the into esoterica and uh, a lot of Masonic symbolism. And yeah, your video just really opened up a lot of doors for me and a lot of uh, a lot of gave me a lot of thought simulations in my head of how things could be. And I went I traveled to London to United Grand Lodge, checked out um the city of London itself did a bit of self-research on what was going on, following on from your video. And yeah, it's, it's right there. It's right there under our nose, but we're just so unbeknownst to it. I wanted to ask you, since you're a, you're a Freemason, um, if they seem to have a deeper understanding of these mysteries in that, or is it kind of a, is it more of a business association or, or what's your, what's your take on that? I, I've heard different, different stories. That's exactly how I feel about it. It really is like a network and business association where it's just gentlemen that professional gentlemen that meet up and they've been doing it for quite some time now. They probably got, they're probably in it because their father's, their grandfather's uncle was in it. And it's, it really does seem that to the um, generic lodges, that every from my experience that it most people are pretty clueless but i know that in certain lodges and within certain circles within it's a, it's very compartmentalized um if you're in the right circles and you and your face fits or your ass or 
you show potential and like it for me I was 18 years old at the time and I was asking all these sort of questions and like it ruffled a few feathers but it also intrigued a few wise heads and I, I did learn a bit from a few but you can really find what you would the sort of the ancient knowledge that it's um, sort of really steeped in on your own accord, if you know where to look, if you learn the basics of symbolism, of geometry, sacred geometry, metrology, uh, and you learn these sort of arts and sciences, you can, you can pretty much do this yourself, which is an interesting age that we live in because information is so widely available to us. Whereas beforehand, it was, again, this would have been closely guarded in amongst these lodges and it's it really has just been watered down and yeah and it's a little bit different here in the uk to be honest with you because in the uk we don't focus on the scottish right when the scottish right is obviously the 33 degrees and then that's when it you really start getting into the interesting stuff where i believe a lot of the knowledge that was initially kept within the first three degrees has been transferred and encoded into those 33 degrees so the uk it's it's in my opinion a, a different it's almost a different sort of uh, a different sort of craft but um yeah i mean just for people that aren't aware of your work uh my audience does come from quite a broad spectrum of uh, interests and this is one that i'm hoping to really turn their head upon because it's one of those things that once you get a solid grasp of you see it in everything and it's the it kind of really resonates with a, a quote that I really love from Leonardo da Vinci, which is there's three types of people in the world. There are those that see, those that see when they're shown and those that don't see. And my sort of audience that I'm sort of really sort of trying to push this message out to, they may not see at the moment, but with solid researchers like yourself and being able to sort of use my platform is like a medium to be able to push this message out. I want them to see. And once they see it, it really opens you up to a whole level, a, a, a paradigm shift within your own consciousness. And if you could just give a little bit of a background on yourself, cause you, you've got a lot of experience, Scott. It's like you, this isn't just your bread and butter. There's so, there's so many things that make you who you are and has led you to be able to create such a wide spectrum of in-depth research that is pretty much, unmatched from from what i've seen within this uh within this world and interest um group itself so yeah if you can just uh give us a rundown and we'll just go from there sure uh, so i i have a degree in architecture and i've just always been a curious person interested in understanding how things work and so um i didn't get any special training in architecture school about sacred geometry or about um these kind of mysteries, but it's something I just researched on my own over out of my own interest. Yeah. And then around 2009, um, it all kind of crystallized and I wrote out the script for this, this movie secrets in plain sight, which I, it took me a year to put it all together. Once I had the script, I had to find all the imagery and, and, you know, it was a big undertaking. And I, I made it as a labor of love. I was fortunate enough in my business to uh, have a passive income from the sales of my tutorial videos. So I was uh, freed up at that point to create the video, to create Secrets in Plain Sight. So I made that and put it out in 2010. And now it's been seen by something like 10 million people if you look at all the different channels. Um, 
I don't make a living off of that. It's still just a labor of love. I gave it away for free on, on YouTube. Um, I made a volume two, which I sold for a while, but now that's not, that's no longer available. It's actually available on Gaia.com. You can watch it there still, but um, it's really just been a passion project of mine to educate people about the patterns that you find in not only in cities, but also in the human body, in the microcosm of molecules, and also in the macrocosm of patterns in the solar system. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess something that I'm really good at is looking at a lot of information and then summarizing it and making it easy to understand. And that's something I do like in my AutoCAD tutorials and, and software tutorials. But I also apply those skills to the esoteric and to these patterns that are part of the universe. And that's, that was kind of the genesis of secrets in plain sight is this kind of consolidation of a lot of information, in a, and a try to condense it in a way that's easy to understand. And um, my secrets in plain sight, volume one is three hours and 43 minutes. So it's really not a short thing. And it's, I think it's really remarkable that so many people have watched that whole thing. Not only that, they've watched it many times because it's just jam packed with information. And um, so what basically it boils down to geometries that I find in all of these different scales. And so that, that kind of drew me to the understanding more about what, what is sacred geometry? What is this geometry coming from? It's sort of uncanny that we would find these geometries in places that don't seem to be designed. Um, and yet they are there. Like for example, um, the, the proportions of the credit card that you probably have in your wallet or in your purse right now are almost, almost, but not exactly a golden rectangle. It's mm -hmm. about 98% correlation. And so I find that fascinating that whoever designed the proportion of the credit card um, obviously didn't exactly use a golden rectangle. That is a rectangle that has a proportion of one to the golden ratio of 1.618, but it's just slightly off. And I think that's because um, they just chose a rectangle that was aesthetically pleasing. And they got, just naturally, they got really, really close to the golden ratio because the golden ratio is part of us. It's part of our visual subsystem. It's even part of our DNA. And I show this in, in my work. I make a lot of kind of infographics that show um, these graphical ideas condensed into one picture. And um, maybe I can send you some slides you can show later on, you know, that give, give people an idea of what that's about. Yeah, for sure. So um, it all kind of comes down to sacred geometry in my mind is all these patterns ultimately boil down to number and number is really the, the bedrock of it all. Um, and then number expressed in space is, is geometry. And when you, when you really explore geometry in the qualitative sense, like the quality of a, a pentagon or the quality of a hexagon and how, how you feel about that or, or what those things seem to represent, then what happens is you start to appreciate it and it's, you suddenly realize it's a change in your perception about something being mundane, like just lines on a page to something taking on an almost sacred quality when you realize it's beauty and it's perfection. 
And that's where I think the term sacred geometry comes from. It's actually just taking geometry, but really appreciating it as a lens into truth, you know, because geometry is, there's only one geometry. It's very refreshing in this world of post-truth to look at something that is actually true. A triangle is a triangle is a triangle, and it's not someone's opinion. It's verifiable, and it's universal. In fact, it's so universal that if we were to contact an extraterrestrial intelligence, um, the best way that we probably could communicate with this being would be with geometry. Assuming they didn't know, already know all of our languages, they didn't understand our languages. Geometry is so universal, it transcends culture. It might even transcend our species because the same geometry is true everywhere in the universe. And because of that, it's a universal, it's a truth. And I think I, I really admire the, uh, the Platonic transcendentals, which was the philosophy of Plato in looking at truth that when you, when you really delve into truth, it's also beautiful. Or if you look really into beauty, you discover that it's also a kind of truth. And, and so also when you examine these things, there's a sense of goodness that, that wells up or a sense of sacredness that occurs. And so it's these three qualities of truth, beauty, and goodness that are considered to be the transcendentals. And I think that um, sacred geometry is, is a pathway into that experience. And it's not a religious thing at all. It, if anything, you might say it's, it's somewhat spiritual. But it doesn't have to have any baggage or any belief system that you bring to it because it's so true. It's so universal. It's verifiable. It's evidence-based. So it's very compatible with the idea of science in its pure form. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's it really has been a fascination of mine for quite a while. Like you said then about the the geometry and numbers being that sort of universal language that's pretty much um can be can be seen throughout throughout the universe. And if there was going to be an extraterrestrial race, like that would be our means of communication. And something that I really love is through the work of you know the greats like. Graham Hancock, Randall Carson, Robert Vival, and you start learning about these ancient sites and the the sort of the sacred geometry encoded within it. It's like a, it was a message. It was a message in that our ans our ancestors, whoever they may be, loads of different theories on who they were and when they existed, but they knew that we weren't going to be speaking the same language as they did back then, and they knew that there is one universal language and that is that of mathematics and geometry. And for the initiates of these mystery schools or the worthy initiates that would pursue this wisdom, they would be able to read the, the messages left in stone throughout the ages and be able to access a higher form of knowledge and a almost like a, a doorway into the higher realms, which is how you access it through studying these, what you would call the higher sciences. And one of the things that is so symbolic within Freemasonry, which I'd like you to touch base on a little bit, is the sacred number of 33. Like the the 33rd degree Mason is the highest, uh, highest degree within the order. 
you've got the, I won't say it all, the 33 um, vertebrae within the spine. And this number seems to appear throughout history as if there is some, there's someone trying to tell us, as in like, guys, take note of this number. This number has some spiritual significance to your own process of self-actualization. And uh, yeah, Scott, what do you think of the number 33? Well, I think it's a really an amazing number in, in that it represents the, the full range. 33 is the, the end of the, the cycle. So when you, when you get to 33, you're at the top. And um, I've found a lot of weird correlations with 33. For example, Mach 33 is 33 times the speed of sound. And that's how fast you have to be going to leave Earth's gravitational well. Mm. But once you go past Mach 33, then you can leave Earth. So doesn't that make sense? It's like the maximum speed. It's 33 times the speed of sound. Wow. Um, and there, it's 33 is carried a lot through um, religions, you know. Jesus was said to perform 33 miracles. He lived 33 and a third years, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. So um, these are encoded into the myths and the, and the religions because someone at some point understood the fundamental import of 33 in that it represented the maximum, the, the penultimate. Um, and it it's really quite nice that in free in the Scottish Rite that thirty three is the top level, um, because it that's a great place to end your whole system. Um, it just resonates with with so much in the universe. Um, you know, middle C is thirty three octaves above the Schumann resonance, which is the the earth's fundamental frequency. And it's, I think it's like 7.8 Hertz, something like that. And that is because um, there's lightning strikes all over the planet at any given moment, there's lightning somewhere and it causes the atmosphere to actually resonate at this very low frequency. And I think it's fascinating that the center of our hearing is at 33 octaves above that. Mm. Again, really beautiful correlation. Um, and and another thing is that the um what is it the the temperature scale i believe it's 33 orders of magnitude from absolute zero to the maximum possible temperature uh, which was the temperature of the big bang so again it's like these major things that just happen to correlate with this number cause you to start wondering about the universe that we're in and whether it's all just random or if there's some kind of mathematical basis to it all. And I leave it up to the viewers of my films and things to come up with a meaning of life out of that. But, and I don't presume to tell you that, but I think it really causes you to pause and reflect upon your worldview when you start to see some of these patterns in the world. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. It's something that has been my own sort of personal pursuit for quite some time now. It's um like the the 33 obviously the like the the uh the famed 33rd degree of freemasonry is the one and there's a lot of um there's a lot of theories concerning what goes on within the 33rd degree, but one of the ones that I like it's all to do with the 
what I believe is symbolic and a, and a, a sort of a, an allegory of the rising of energy up the spine. You work up through the vertebrae, and when you reach that 33, the 33rd vertebrae, like you said, is the end of the cycle. That's when it's the end of your sort of mortal life. And that's when you experience the heavens, like the 33 um, steps within Jacob's ladder. You, you work your way up. And then once the, the energy rises up to the obdula uh, obligata, there is a process in which this energy of the cerebral spinal fluid creates a spark which goes through the third ventricle which connects with the pineal gland and then obviously the pineal gland due to the work of dr rick straussman we now know has some pretty significant relation has a pretty significant relationship with dimethyltryptamine dmt the spirit molecule and it's in my belief that this although there are a lot of there's a lot of symbolism attached to 33 and like you said it's significant in many other forms and factors i really do believe that one of the central ones is that it's a number that is closely tied to our own path of ascension and i feel like that's why it was encoded with that's why i believe jesus was like you said he was he was who he was until until 33 and a third like he and he become Jesus Christ at that, that age. He died and he ascended to G, to Christ, just as the human being would have a spiritual death and rebirth through the ascension process of hitting that thirty third vertebrae with their cerebral spinal fluid energetic spark, and then it's uh, into the God realm you go. But um, it's there's so many other things that I'd love to touch base on as well, Scott. It's um, I really do love the a lot of the it we don't necessarily have to be focused on masonic symbolism here but just how the the city of london rome new york all of these sort of major cities in the world i mean it's kind of interesting for me because if you look at if you were looking into the military industrial complex and looking at what that's created from you've got the religious base situated in rome We've got the military base situated in Washington, D.C., and then we've got the monetary base situated in the city of London. And it just just even taking that aside and not even taking that into account and just looking at the connections between the three of those, either breaking it down one by one or the connection of how they all interconnect. Could you give us a rundown on just your findings within those cities alone and then some of the interconnectedness to prove that the people that constructed these cities not only had an advanced knowledge of these sacred ge- geometrical patterns and laws, but they somehow managed to s- survey and construct these cities thousands and thousands of miles apart with a precision of like a pinpoint in the way that they connect. And by connecting, they create these universal geometrical archetypes that encode some sort of energy within those cities, within those places? Well, I can speak to each of the cities separately. I don't know how they connect, like you're suggesting, although what you're saying reminds me of a connection I did find with London, and that is through Cleopatra's Needle. Mm -hmm. Um, Shall I tell you about that? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it, Scott. Just far away, man. Let's um. If you yeah. if you want to do just because uh quite a lot of my listeners are from uh UK based. If we can uh if we can touch on London first, and then I know there is a lot of interesting stuff in Washington D.C. and the Vatican. 
um, or Rome, sorry. Um, yeah, we can, um, and then we could move on to those afterwards. And this ties in with the 33 that we're talking about before. Um, so Cleopatra's needle came from, originally it came from Heliopolis in Egypt, but in antiquity it was moved to Alexandria where it stood right on the harbor there for about 2000 years. And then in the 19th century, it was moved to London. So what, what really blew me away was I measured, for some reason, I just felt inspired to measure the distance from where Cleopatra's Needle is in London. I've actually been to the location there. It's right there on, you know, uh, in central London. And if you measure that distance from there to where it was in Alexandria for 2,000 years, it's 3,333.33 miles. <laughs> so crazy uh, it just like blew my mind that that well how could that be you know because i don't think that they would have had the even the capability of surveying it so accurately in the 19th century because they didn't have gps mm-hmm. but even if they did how is it that london just happens to be in the right place to make that happen it's a big world the city doesn't have to be right in that exact place where that can happen. It has to be right on the river right there. So I think that's one of those kind of really miraculous connections that shows that there's some deeper patterning going on. Um, You know, and where the obelisk used to be in Heliopolis is 3,333 miles from Mount Everest. Mm. That's another one that's, really amazing. Um, And I believe it's 3,333 miles to the equator from there as well. So um, these, these things are, are too perfect to be random. You know, I mean, that's why once you see this thing, it starts to, um, you start, it, it should ignite curiosity. And you want to check it out. You want to see what else is like that. Um, yeah, so there was a guy in um, the Netherlands who looked at a famous lighthouse that's there, the oldest lighthouse in the Netherlands. And he measured the distance from there to the oldest obelisk in the world, which is in Heliopolis. It's the last obelisk there. And it was 3,333.33 meters. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. So it, that's another, another one. I, I, and so I, for, there was a time when I would go and Google earth and measure things a lot. And I have a lot of interesting correlations that I've found um, connecting things. Um, but uh, that's not all there is. It's not just point to point measurements. There's um, alignments in cities. For example, Rome has a lot of solar alignments that I go to in my film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are based on the summer solstice sunrise and the winter solstice sunrise. And they connect obelisks within the city um, with these solar alignments, which isn't exactly a Christian idea. So it, it's, it predates Christianity, really, because you find these kind of alignments in ancient Egypt. You find them in um, like the Temple of Hatshepsut is aligned to the one of the solstice sunrises for example. And there, there are solar alignments at Karnak 
And so this is a practice that goes back at least to ancient Egypt. And it's fascinating that these same kinds of alignments were encoded in the city of Rome. And and also in Washington, D.C., um, you find these kind of solar alignments, in particular uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, which is the famous street that the White House is on, connecting the, uh, the Capitol with the White House, is aligned to the heliacal rising of Sirius, uh, which is this phenomenon that set the ancient Egyptian calendar. And in addition, the Champs-Élysées in Paris is aligned to the same phenomenon. Hmm. And uh, that's fascinating. And I don't think it's very well known um, either that that is the case. It's very, it's very Masonic in a sense that, um, that these cities would be designed to venerate something in ancient Egypt, because I think that Freemasonry is really a remnant, an echo of an ancient Egyptian mystery school. Although I think it's, largely forgotten in the the rich. I'm not a Freemason, but I've read about it a great deal and talked to Freemasons. And it seems like there's a kind of an empty ritual that you go through that you don't, no one really understands. And it's only a few, like we talked earlier, it's only like a few people that seem to even be interested in, in unraveling that. And uh, those that do go into that realize that it, it, it points back to ancient Egypt. And, you know, um, Robert Baval has written good books on this and, and many others. So um, there's a whole wealth of literature that you can get into if this is something that interests you to, to figure out why these important cities are lined up like that. Um, for example, in Paris, the Champs-Élysées is actually the axe historique or the historical axis that goes all the way to the Louvre, you know. And so right next to the Louvre Pyramid, there's a um, a sculpture of Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, on horseback. And um, if you've ever been there, you, you might remember that there's a the sculpture in the in the square there. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the endpoint of the axis. And if you stand there and look down down through the Arc de Triomphe de Carrousel, it goes it continues on, and you see the obelisk in the Place de la Concorde. You see the Arc de Triomphe in the distance, and way in the distance, you see the Grand Arch. So in a way, it's like these three arches that go from the human scale to the stellar scale at the Arc de Triomphe in the Place d'Etoile, the place of the star. It's acting like a sun. And then all the way to the Grand Arch in the distance, which is like an even higher scale. And so this whole thing is like ramping up from the human scale in the form of the Sun King up through these gates. And it's this esoteric masterpiece that that is available for those who have eyes to see. And it takes place across the whole historical center of Paris, you know? And uh, I think it's really beautiful and it's wonderful to become conscious of these patterns because they're there, but largely are misunderstood or just not known. And so in Secrets in Plain Sight, I try to bring a lot of these patterns that are in these famous cities into our consciousness and to say, wow, that's incredible. You know, there's these alignments in these cities that were obviously designed by someone for some purpose. And I think that like the best architecture and the best urban design acts on you in such a way that you 
you may not really be aware of it, but it kind of forms you and shapes you. And um, it's behind the scenes, but it's something that is structuring reality. And I think for some, for things that are so important, like in Paris and London, DC, and these very important world cities, it's really great to, to understand these patterns and see how those connect into, into the universe, you know, into deeper subjects like the Louvre pyramid, for example, it has the same slope as the great pyramid of Egypt. Why is that? Isn't it just a glass atrium? Why would it have the exact same slope? You know, unless they were trying to encode something. If you look at the diagram from above, it's an, it's an astrological diagram. Um, it's based on the golden ratio, the whole, the whole courtyard there. And so there's all these layers of um, patterning that's, that's all there that it's remarkable, but it's not really known or publicized. It, it's just, it's just there. And that, that's what really baffled me for a long time is how could you, how could you be a major architectural firm and not publicize that? And um, so I was, I was interviewed by this um, academic, Frank Albo, who studied the city of Astana in Kazakhstan. And, and he wrote a book on, on that city that exposes a lot of its Masonic um, symbolism. And in his book launch, he, he was fortunate enough to launch that book in the offices of Sir Norman Foster, who is the architect of a lot of the buildings in the, in the city. And he talked to the lead designers there about it. And he said, are you, that's amazing that you people encoded all this stuff. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're not even aware of that. They, they didn't even know. Apparently. That this was all that this, this was something that they had encoded in the city. And I, I actually believe that's true. There, there's like a, there's a, it's sort of inexplicable oftentimes how these patterns actually get made because the people who are responsible for them don't necessarily even aren't necessarily even conscious of it. And so then I start to wonder like, are we like termites in the, in the sense that termites can build these incredible mounds that have this incredible architecture with air conditioning and farming and structural supports and all this stuff. And clearly that's all beyond the brain of a single termite you know, but it makes me wonder if we're, we're like that too. Like, are we enacting these great Masonic gestures on the earth that we're not even individually aware of, you know? Um, and why would that be? You know, it's these, these gestures are encoding some kind of fundamental geometries that are, they're not just part of culture. They're, they're fu so fundamental that they're deep geometric truths. And, and therefore, I, I, I don't feel like it's, a, it's an evil conspiracy. I think it's actually something that's quite beautiful that these patterns are happening and people are largely ignorant of them. In a way, it reminds me of the crop circle phenomenon where there are these beautiful geometries that are laid down in the fields, mostly in your country. Yeah, I live very close to where they're in Wiltshire, which is where it's uh, where a lot of them are based. That's like the crop circle. Um, like the, the mecca of, of yeah. the and, uh, and yet, most people have written it off as a hoax. 
And although that may be true that people make them, I don't think that that really should prohibit us from appreciating the geometries. Why don't we just think of it as an art project? If you don't, I like the idea of aliens doing it. But it, wouldn't you say it's largely ignored? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think it's, I think it's a mixture of both. Like, I think the, I think there's a lot of conspiracy attached to it nowadays. But I feel like that was not the initial intention. I feel like the initial intention was there in order to create a holy space. That by using these shapes, these shapes induce a frequency, and these frequencies have an effect on our state of consciousness. And I really do believe. Sorry, I was just going to agree with you that that shapes really do influence our consciousness. And that can be true in the terms of architecture or urban design, but also just shapes on a page or, mm-hmm. or shapes in the field. They influence us. And, it, and it's really mysterious in a way why form should influence us. But it does, you know, in terms of logos, corporate logos are often based on the golden ratio. And I've done some some analyses of that. Um, and they're just more gripping. They're more compelling. People like them more. It, it's resonating with something deeply that's part of you. And when you see that, there's a sense of goodness or a sense of, dare I say, even sacredness that you feel when you see those forms. And so somehow or other, it acts on us. Those geometries affect us. And I think that's really fascinating. So I would like to mention that I've just released a course that I've created on sacred geometry. Oh, really? Uh, Okay. Yeah, it's at my website, scott.training. And I recommend everybody check that out if if this type of thing sounds interesting to you. Because... In this course, I take you from being an absolute beginner to becoming a certified geometer where you can you can draw with the traditional instruments of a compass and a straight edge on paper, or you can use this free app that I use in the course to do the drawing. And so it's creating these very um, fundamental, essential geometries where we learn how to do all the basic geometric uh, skills as well as creating uh, all the regular polygons from three to nine, and then we get into the actual sacred geometry diagrams that encode connections like squaring the circle and the golden ratio and the proportions of the moon and the earth and the slope of the great pyramid um, are all correlated with one another in multiple ways. And so I, I show you how to make these drawings. And I think it's not really so much of an intellectual exercise as, a, as an experience. Because when you, when you actually do the drawing, that's when it affects you. And I, I have to say it's very positive and somewhat mysterious, like why this actually works. But it's, it's kind of a time-tested technique that presumably the Freemasons of the past were doing, as well as a lot of architects and artists. And I show how Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and a lot of the Renaissance greats encoded the golden ratio in their artwork. 
which means that they started with that. They actually started with a kind of scientific approach by drawing the geometry on the canvas first. And then they use that as a framework for their art. Mm-hmm. And so then in the end, when you have something like the Mona Lisa or the creation of Adam Fresco in the Sistine Chapel, they're the most famous artworks in the world. And you have to wonder, why is that? I think it's because not only were they great works of art, but they're based on the golden ratio. And when you see that, when I, I can show that to you in graphics that I've made. It all, see, it all comes together and you realize that's why it's so beautiful. It's because it's based on this beautiful, harmonious proportion. And it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It's, it's, you don't see it unless it's shown to you. So it's like you were saying earlier with that Leonardo quote. There are some people that just see. And then there's another class of people that can see when they're shown. When you see how when the diagram reveals it to you, then you get it. And there's one other class of people who don't get it. Even if you show them, they don't care. They're not interested. And you know what? That's their prerogative. But so this, this kind of secret protects itself because you have to already be interested in inside yourself in these things to want to know more. And I think that's as it probably the most, um, respectful uh, way it can go yeah there's so many interesting points that you made there scott and loads that i would want to pick up on and one of the ones that you said about the the golden ratio just being able to induce a state of um a state of wonder and it's like you don't notice about me i haven't i haven't we've only briefly gone back and forth just over email but i make health supplements so a little bit different a little bit far-fetched but when I was when I was creating the product, I ha- I ran into a few difficulties because I was trying to formulate the products in accordance to the golden ratio, so that the the ingredients, the dosage of each ingredient, they they kind of measured out in accordance to the golden ratio. And if you look at the artwork that I use on my packaging, it's all scaled to the golden ratio and you can you can now look on like for example if you've got um i've got a hawaii p20 pro phone i think which is like it's like a real flash sort of android smartphone and on the camera app as a stock um sort of uh, camera frame you can get the fibonacci spiral on now so when you're taking pictures you align your picture so it fits within this frame and it creates a better picture because everything is scaled the way that it needs to be and i have this sort of theory to do with like when you're looking at these shapes when you're looking at the golden ratio you're looking at something that is like you said a universal truth a divine source of truth and what we're looking at is a reflection of our own divine origin we are encoded with the golden ratio in the way that our the length of our limbs the proportion of our the structure of our skeletal system and when we're looking at these pictures, like the Mona Lisa, the 16th, um, the 16th Chapel, we're looking at these pieces of art that are class that are kind of perceived to be like, yeah, the best pieces of art in the world. We're almost, you know, I believe that we're looking at a mirror image of God, the God self, the higher self, which is a source, which is a source of being that I feel these ancient um, masons of old they knew about. And they knew how to connect to it and they encoded the path 
of connection within their within their creations of work uh, or work of creation sorry and yeah in order for the gen the next generations of what i believe to be worthy initiates would be able to f- either see and just be able to read between lines or they would be interested and study it and then the secrets would be would present themselves open to them and one of the things that i wanted to um another thing i wanted to cover with you scott is just the golden ratio itself um like i am one of the things that i try to bridge the gap between with my brand is that sort of ancient ancestral wisdom with today's sort of science and I've, I've I studied a lot of like Schwarzer de Lubick's work, John Anthony West's work of when they got the Temple of Man and how these ancient temples were really scalar models of the human body, as if they were trying to create a living a living temple, something that you would go that would channel the as above so below the essence of the stars above of the microcosm down onto the microcosmic level, and. Um, I believe that the body itself, the reason they did this is that the body is a biological temple. And when it's because we've got these proportions built into us, but in, in today's world, a lot of us just, we aren't, we haven't grown into these proportions. And I connect this with, with nutrition, with lifestyle factors. And I can go pretty deep into that um, in terms of how certain foods we eat, certain lifestyle factors in the way in from a childhood into adolescent into adulthood, how we grow into these proportions if we live a in accordance to natural law. And once we grow into these proportions, it's as above, so below. We are holding a resonance within the, the geometrical structure of our being that allows us to access just like these temples can these altered states of consciousness. Like if you walk into one of those got into like Notre Dame, you walk into uh, one of the, one of um, the cathedrals within uh, medieval Europe, it induces a state of calmness of there's something about it that when you're in there, it has effect on your consciousness. And it's to do, it's to do with the architecture itself, with the fact that it's encoded. Like I've, I, I, to be honest, I don't know if it was you that said this, Scott, but I've heard it said that architecture is frozen music. No, that was uh, Goethe. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, that's a beautiful quote, though. Yeah, and it's true. I mean, music is is geometry expressed in time, and architecture is geometry exp- expressed in space. Mm. So they're very related through mm. space time. Yeah. And one of the things I'd like you just to go over is like the relationship between the human body, the golden ratio and some of the some of the big like the Great Pyramid, for example, like we can I've got your book. Um, This one here. It's a bit of I know the lighting's a bit bad. Oh, yeah. The Divine but, Proportion. Yeah, yeah. And like that, that was something that I used to read for in the day. And it was just interesting with all the um, all these sort of connections you make between the human body and just obviously all these different sort of geometrical shapes but then you've got the things like the great pyramid you've got the earth there's all these correlations um that you can that you can relate it to and yeah i would love it well i think leonardo da vinci's vitruvian man illustration which might be the most iconic picture in the world yeah uh, of the ideal proportions of a, of a person of a man in particular well i actually updated that and i i have male on one side and female on the other side. Can I just stop you one second? It was really, we were really missing something. Yeah. Just want to stop you one second, Scott. Guys, if you're listening to this, if you check out my product, Vitruvian protein, my, my 
like if you go on my website primealchemy.co.uk that is exactly what the the artwork that i had designed is showing you it's the vitruvian man with the male on one side the female on the other side and yeah just just because you brought that up then scott it's just i just wanted to show people that a lot of the stuff about my brand there's like you said it's kind of subtly encoded within it that just so now that people are listening to yourself explain this they'd be like oh shit that's why it's there like that's what i that's the message i was trying to deliver to people but yeah go yeah, ahead scott. that's wonderful and i i think the vitruvian man should really be updated to become the Vitruvian human because it is a universal proportion of the body. And, and we shouldn't uh, accept the kind of sexism of the past times. And it's great to update that. But once we get past the idea of it's only for men or, you know, we can see it just as a generic human. And then like Leonardo showed with the circle and the square, uh, when you when you actually take the golden ratio of those of those two, the the center of the square, or the, the golden ratio on the square points to the center of the circle, and then the golden ratio on the circle points to the heart center. And I made a graphic that illustrates that all at a glance that I'll forward to you. And so um, it's fascinating that the the centers of the body, like on the navel, is that the one you've got behind you? It's very the one um, of the pieces you've got on. It's see the like the Fibonacci spiral center into the heart, or is that a different one that you're referring to? I have it there. Um, no, I don't have that one up in my room. But um, it uh, it really just shows you how the golden ratio connects the physical center where you were connected to your mother through your umbilical cord with the heart center, and these are proportioned with golden ratios, and um, I think that's very beautiful and poetic. But I also show in my work how the DNA molecule is this kind of molecular temple of, of the golden ratio. It encodes the golden ratio in, in three simultaneous ways. And that's not even including the code, the actual code, which uh, geneticists have shown exhibits the golden ratio. But, but the, the, the structure of the molecule itself is very highly resonant with the, with the golden ratio. And so this is such a part of us somehow that when we actually just see it with our eyes, it resonates with us. Even, even the fact of seeing is a golden ratio activity because the cones in our eyes are red, green, and blue. And those cones, which are tuned to those wavelengths, happen. those three wavelengths, red, green, and blue, are in a golden ratio with respect to one another. Mm. In, the, in the visible light spectrum. Again, I have another graphic that shows that. And... Um, and so the golden ratio is actually the key. There was a Nobel Prize winning physicist, um, Appleton, who said the golden ratio is the key to universal physics. And I think it's very largely um, misunderstood or trivialized. It's a lot like the way crop circles are treated today. Um, the golden ratio is thought of as just some kind of nice proportion. Who cares? But it's, <laughs> it's actually the, the, one of the primary secrets of the universe. And it, we have yet to really unpack all of it in a practical sense of making devices based on it or whatnot. But the first thing to do is to un, do fundamental research on why that is and why, why is so much proportioned that way, you know? Um, I know in astrophysics that they looked at some quasar and, and they found that it pulsated at a, at a golden ratio 
um, there's other evidence in, in the atomic world of the golden ratio and the, the science of the very small. And so this, this runs throughout the microcosm all the way up through the human scale to the macrocosm. And it actually makes me wonder about the nature of reality being mathematical. You know, it may not be an accident that mathematics is a universal language, that geometry is a universal language, because this entire universe is actually built on math. In fact, perhaps the, it is math. It is geometry in the most fundamental sense. Because when we look at atoms, which is supposedly making up all things, they're geometric. You know, if you look at the S, what is it, SPDF orbital patterns, the way that electrons orbit atoms, it's purely geometric. If you look at the, yeah, the neutrons and the quarks that make up the neutrons and the protons, it's all, it's all equilateral triangles. The charges are all mathematical. All the particles that make up reality are nothing but mathematical. They don't have any other qualities. They're not old. They don't wear out. They're not rusty. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just mathematical. They last forever. You know, it's, um, we live in this mathematical universe. And some people say it's a simulation, but if that were the case, then I think that argument collapses in absurdity because if it were a simulation running on a real computer, couldn't that real computer be a simulation running in yet another, even more real computer? And then it could just go on forever like that. So why, why would we assume that? That's, that's an argument of absurdity. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've had a, I've had similar, uh, similar nights of just deep thought to do with everything you just said then, especially regarding the simulation theory that's something that interests me i really like the idea it's that we are living in a sort of a spiritual reality game there or a spirit like a virtual reality but with a spiritual source and this there's there's loads of interesting correlations you can make you've got the likes of um nick uh, well, who, who, Nick Bostrom, yeah. The, so you've got uh, the Swede from Oxford uni uh, University philosopher. You've got Elon Musk, some of those sort of modern day sort of um, thought leaders within the simulation theory. And then you're looking at the likes of when you look at a, the advancements made from in the 1970s of a simple Pac-Man machine into 2018, where we got the Oculus Rift, which is a fully fledged virtual reality machine. Granted, it's a little bit, uh, it's not perfect, but that's in the space of 40, 50 years. And if you take in uh, Moore's law, law of accelerating returns and the rate of the rate of development in technology that we've seen. And if it just within the next 10 years alone, and with the with the development of quantum computing, we're going to have the ability to be able to create universes with within desktop computers. So, for all we know, we may just well be a a sim an ancestral simulation that's uh, being played out by some kid in two thousand six hundred and fifty seven, some year like that, and he's experiencing what his ancestors lived like in the year two thousand and nineteen. 
up. This isn't well, a be the case, but again, it, it, that argument kind of collapses if you if you consider that that kid could be a simulation in another reality and so on. Yeah. But what, what I'd like to add to that beyond the talk of simulation is that like, and I'm a fan of Max Tegmark's mathematical universe hypothesis mm-hmm. that the universe truly is math. But I differ from him in that he thinks, well, that's enough to say that the universe is just math. But if you think about math, it's a language. It's the universal language. Mm-hmm. But then you have to think about what is language. Language is always something that has to be interpreted by consciousness. It's not, you can't have a language in a bucket and have it be understood. You have to actually interpret it through your consciousness to, to parse the language. It's, only, it's a system of symbols that has meaning only to consciousness. So ultimately the universe is made up of consciousness. And consciousness uses math as its operating system. Yeah, almost as a way to communicate with itself. Yeah, and it actually creates the whole universe. It's a, it's, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of imagining all things. Um, be, imagine that you're an infinite consciousness that has infinite processing power. But you're, you're in a void. There's no space. There's no time. You have to imagine that, and you have to imagine the entire universe. How are you going to do that? You're going to have to use math. Mm-hmm. And since you have infinite capacity for processing, that's no problem. But ultimately, the universe isn't just math. Math is a language. The universe is consciousness. It's who you are listening to me right now. That is consciousness. That's who you are. And that's what the universe is made of, in my opinion. Yeah, it's the true observer. So when you, when you have your faults that arise in your mental sphere, you're not your faults, you are the observer. Like who, there's two different sort of beings at play here. There's the faults that are arising, but then there's also the thing, whatever you want to call it, that's observing those faults and that's hearing those faults. So it's, um, it's very interesting. And I totally agree. I totally agree with you, Scott. I'm totally on board with that, that the universe is consciousness. And I really do believe that humanity has known that and they have known that for tens of thousands of years. And we now, well, I mean, modern science proves it that time is cyclical in nature and time is almost an illusion as well. But if we're going to, it is cyclical. And we go through stages in history of, beco- of, be- of becoming closer to that truth and times in the cycle of being further from that truth. And I believe that everything that you've found on your own journey, your own work that you've done over the, over your, um, over the past 10, 20 years, just your, just, your life's, just your life's work, I believe you've come to the same conclusions as the, our ancient ancestors of old, who I believe are us in the future. I believe that it's the ancients that built the pyramids that existed in the pre-antediluvian times. They're us in the future. That's who we're, we're going to end up becoming if we follow this path and if we get back in touch with our true nature and we learn these secrets of the ancient past. 
it may be the only way for us to actually survive as a species is to realize our interconnection with all things yeah. and that we're not just this cancer on the earth, you know, as one, as one way of looking at it. Yeah. But that's... We're, we're part of the, the whole pattern. We're, we're, we're actually at an incredibly privileged position at our scale. We're, we're actually at the golden ratio point with respect to all things from the proton to the visible universe, the human scale is right at the golden ratio. And it's, it's not particular to humans, but just creatures that happen to be around our size. We happen to be in this wonderful position where we can explore the microcosm and the macrocosm from this golden ratio perspective. And I don't know, when, you, when I discover things like that, it really blows my mind and it gives me faith that we're part of this pattern. We're part of this beautiful complexity and it's, and we happen to be in a, in the best place for it, for, for this experience. So, um, I don't know. It just, I feel innately positive about these kinds of explorations. Yeah. And again, totally, totally agree with you, Scott. And you're very humble in the way that you kind of always finish it off with. I don't know as to, uh, I just, I'm just, I really do believe in everything you said, you just said. And I do believe that's, that's like what we're here for. We're here, like we are part of the equation. We are a significant part of the equation. And like, it's our, it's our duty in this incarnation to learn, to grow and to induce a state of spiritual evolution and enjoy the third dimension because like you said we can experience we are in that golden ratio in terms of like a measuring stick between the macro and micro we are at the golden ratio intersect of that which allows us to experience both simultaneously if we decide to and we can choose where we stand or where we operate within that measuring stick and it's that for me really does prove that there is a divine source there is a grand architect the great architect as the masonic um philosophy likes to likes to call what the supreme being the higher source the universe whatever you want to call it whatever it's been known as throughout the age i feel is just a term that we attribute to our higher self and at our core we are all connected and it's our duty to r remember that it's just like on Lion King when Simba looks up to the sky when he's lost his way and Mufasa's in forms in the clouds and he tells Simba to remember who he is, which is the uh, the king of Pride Rock. He's the king of his kingdom. And that's very much what we are. We are our own king of our own divine kingdom, our internal realm. And our internal realm is as above, so below. We are the king. We are the, the yeah, the, the pharaoh of the, the, of the, of our reality. And this is what I feel like our ancients wanted to tell us. Yeah, and we are we are consciousness, and yeah. there is only one consciousness. We all have different minds and different histories and different thoughts, but all of those thoughts are experienced in the same consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so, ultimately, we are the creator of the universe. It's just that not the human limitation being that you are now, but the same consciousness that runs your whole life is the same consciousness that created the universe. I think that's a very controversial perhaps or Gnostic view or radical view. 
but it's also very true in the sense that uh you know consciousness is what it's all about yeah and i think there are loads of different methodologies and modalities of being able to connect to this uh sort of prime sort of what's the word i'm looking for um i let's say the or to this baseline consciousness and I believe, like just to touch base on what you said earlier, to do with the spirit, um, with the sacred geometry, that if you construct it yourself, like I'm pretty far out in that. I have this thing called a brainwave entrainment device in which you can tune your brain into certain frequencies to get into altered states of consciousness. And I believe that that's a, that's a technological uh, sort of medium into doing that. But I also spend a lot of time doing my own sacred geometry of studying it, of drawing it. And when you're drawing it, it gives me the same sort of effect as I would do if I was to sit there and meditate, listening to an alpha brainwave to get me into that state of um, consciousness. I feel the same, like I'm pretty sensitive to it now. So I know kind of where I'm at, give or take. And when you're doing, when you're constructing these sacred geometrical patterns, you, you fall into a flow like state where it's a meditative state. And it's like you're connecting with a fundamental force of nature of the universe. And it can put you into, yeah, altered states of consciousness through experimenting with these shapes, with these, with this geometry. And I think that's one of the, um, I think that's something that's been at play for a long time on different scales and different levels. You can do it in your house on a piece of paper, or you can do it on a global scale and that will then change the, it will create a sort of a, a metaphysical grid, a grid around like an energy grid around the earth that then if you, if you put certain sites on these points, on these nodal points, these geometrical shapes on these points, then you could find a way to almost harness the energy, the free, like whatever it is that this sacred geometry is creating, you can, you can create a, yeah, like a global grid. And that's really well, what I believe. They I did. Think it, that grid is like people getting in touch with being, feeling that they're part of every, they're part of the whole, that, mm-hmm. that you're reconnected with truth, with beauty, with goodness, that you're, that you're, that you're on the right track, you mm-hmm. know? And um, I think it's self-evident when you experience it, it's undeniably positive and healing. And I just want to mention again that I have, created a course on sacred geometry that I put a lot of energy into it's at scott.training and I invite everybody to come and check it out okay it's really my attempt to try to initiate people into this whole world this whole practice of drawing and you can gain the skills to make these beautiful diagrams and then also experience these states of altered consciousness just by the act of drawing. So it's, it's really a beautiful um, experience. And I've, I've co-hosted some sacred geometry workshops in Ireland and they've been just wonderfully received. People are really transformed by this kind of simple act of drawing and then creating a group mandala project together. Mm. And it's really a beautiful thing. It's um, 
there's very little baggage with it. You know, you're just drawing these shapes or participating in decorating a shape that's already there. And it really just digs deep into people and is powerfully healing and transformative. Yeah. I, I really can't recommend it highly enough. Please check it out. Yeah. Guys, if you're listening to this, give, uh, give Scott's, give, give, give Scott's, uh, Scott's offer a go. It's, uh, it truly is a, a transformative experience when you start working with on this sort of level and it will open your eyes to a whole new level of reality and where you fit within it. And it's one of those that you can, you can sit and you can stare and you can, you can look at sacred geometrical shapes. You can go look at flower of lives and Metatron's cube and you can, you can do all that. And it's great. It's, it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite relaxing and it's cool to look at, but when you actually work with it and you learn how to construct it and you're actually working with these shapes in vitro in the moment, it's, you get a whole different understanding of what it's about. And you become the great architect. You become the creator of your reality, the creator of this universe. You understand the fundamental creation process and this something just something what you might may think is so simple and just oh, i'm just going to draw some sacred geometry on a piece of paper and it's going to change my life it will it will and <laughs> yeah, it, it, i wouldn't really believe it unless i've experienced it but it's true it's 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 like it shouldn't do this but it is so yeah. it's really amazing so yeah scott we're um we're tie things up now and i've uh managed to grab an hour of your time and i'm really appreciative of that i know you're a busy guy if Everyone has loved what you've been saying, which I'm sure they have, because just a book of knowledge yourself. Whereabouts? I know you said Scott.training. Is there any other resources or if you've got a YouTube channel, if you've got anything, any sort of social media handles that you can sort of throw out to people to be able to find out more about yourself? Yes, certainly. Um, you can also look at secretsinplainsight.com. That's where you can uh, watch my film for free right there on the page. It's embedded. It's three hours, 43 minutes. So it's a big, big experience. Best if you probably just watch 15 minutes a day and try to try to digest that. I also have another site called sacredgeometry.academy. And this is the site to go to if you're interested in signing up for a workshop where we have a, we spend a weekend exploring geometry together. I've done this a couple of years in Ireland and uh, we haven't yet set the, the new dates for the next event, but there will be one. So you can go there and check that out as well. And finally, just go to scott.training and see the sacred geometry course that I'm offering there. All right, cool. Well, thanks that Scott. Thank, I mean, thanks for coming on, man. That's like, it's uh, yeah, I really appreciated it. Really appreciated your time and having the chance to talk to you. It's like, I was, like I said, watching that video of yours seven years ago, and then I've got your book, which I've been, which I've had for a few years. And it's strange to, a bit surreal to finally have you on the other end of my screen to talk to you and be like, wow, yeah, this is, this is reality. Now I'm talking to the guys that when I was studying, growing up, studying their work, I'm yeah, now talking to them. So yeah, it means a lot to me as well. And hopefully everyone that's been listening has uh has enjoyed what we've had to say and this may be plant a seed in their own brain which can grow according to the fibonacci sequence and spurt something that's going to blossom into a uh sort of a spiritual path for themselves because this is kind of the this is what i believe this is about is about 
putting kind of putting you on that spiritual path and uh yeah so i just want to say a big thank you again scott and we're uh we're close this one up so guys that's episode 26 episode 26 already i know i say that at the end of every episode but yeah we're starting to rack up the numbers now on this starting to get a little bit of um starting this the pieces of the puzzle are starting to fit together i know if you're listening to this for the first time it's a little bit uh it might seem a little bit separated from some of the subjects that we cover on this uh, podcast, but you'll soon see I've done this for a reason. I'm bringing on the guests with their specialties so that you can understand uh, a real knowledgeable uh, breakdown of each point I'm trying to present to you guys so you can see the bigger picture of what I'm trying to uh, deliver. And yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's close this one up. It's episode 26. Guys, stay woke as fuck. Repo Initiation Hour. We're heading out.